Hi, I'm Mark Loftus, and in this podcast, Post is speaking with avid CEO Jeff Rosica, who's going to update us on how the company was able to overcome some of the obstacles presented in 2020, as well as what the months ahead might look like. Jeff, thanks for joining us. What are some of your thoughts? This was an interesting year. It was definitely, uh, I don't want to repeat uh, March of 2020 through about October of 2020. I'm not sure I want to repeat that period of my life. Um, but um, you know, it was definitely an interesting year, but the company did a great job navigating through it. I have to say the team did an amazing job. Avid actually, I mean, knock on wood, um, got through the whole thing. Um, we probably were worried about that. We were worried about that early on in the pandemic, but actually the company ended up performing quite well. And in fact, surprisingly to me a little bit um, is that we've actually performed better at coming out of the pandemic than we did before the pandemic. Because I think that the in, I think that in some ways, I mean, I don't want to wish a pandemic on anybody. I mean, it's, you know, God forbid what happened to people, but um, it, this situation with the pandemic did teach our industry, especially if I have to talk about it from a post perspective, that, you know, I think a lot of us were talking about, you know, how do we deal with a more of a gig economy? How do we deal with people who want to work more remotely? You know, does everybody have to go into an edit suite or go into a facility to get the work done? I think we were all, as an industry, trying things in new ways for, the, or for several years. I think the pandemic just threw everybody into the into the you know ocean and just they had to start swimming right and so I think the industry learned that, that we can achieve a lot more in a flexible remote kind of you know work from anywhere environment and so if anything the pandemic accelerated strengths for Avid because one of the things we've always been as you know Avid's at the higher end and we've always had to deal with these you know massive collaborative productions across multiple sometimes continents. As I probably put us in, a, in a, an advantageous position when people were looking for solutions to how to work with distributed teams, how to work, you know, remotely. And so it actually played probably well into our strengths. And that's part of the reason why we performed very well, you know, as we're coming out of the pandemic. Well, you did have a, a good start to the year with a couple of Academy Award wins there. So yes. uh, <laughs> that that's, shows that content was able to be created on the highest level. Yeah. In 2020, true. in spite of the challenges. Yeah, true. Yeah, true, for sure. A lot was learned there. And so we learned a lot, obviously, about what it's going to take to really empower people. I mean, it's one thing to say you could, look, you can tech, the edit on demand is a great, simple solution, which is basically you know, editing and storage in the cloud. And it's completely virtualized. So as long as you can log on to a decent connection, you know, you can edit with Avid uh, on a $500 machine. Um, uh, you know, obviously there's some different workflows because they're in the cloud, but it, I think it really showed people that you really can edit in the cloud. I mean, people thought, gee, Avid, editing in the cloud, that will never happen. Actually, it works pretty well. Um, and so it, it's interesting how that's going to change dynamics a bit when people see how that's you know, possible. I, I know that the uh, edit on demand was officially announced earlier this year, but it must have been in place last year. How quickly were you able to come up with a solution to deal with the pandemic uh, challenges. Was it something you were already working on to create these remote workflows? Or like you said, were you thrown into it headfirst because of the circumstances and then had to really gear up for it quickly? Was it something that was already in the works? Yeah, it, a lot of it was in the works because there's different ways people needed to attack the problem that they were facing with the pandemic. Um, so some things we did do, an example is we launched a free license program right away. Um, that I know the industry overall started to embrace later on, but we, we went out really early on a, on a free license program, realizing that people were going to immediately go home and potentially 
their copy of Media Composer sitting on a device in the facility, right? And they need their, their copy of Pro Tools and they've got to get it to a machine at home. And so the first thing we did was we launched a free license program so that people could quickly get licenses up and running. So as long as you owned a copy of a license, we allowed you to get another one for free temporarily so you could get through the pandemic and not have the complexities of trying to you know move your license or whatever. Second thing is, we already were doing a lot of remote connectivity for people with you know being able to do remote editing or remote storing remote locations. And so um, I think that just accelerated people's move to some of those solutions that we had. But then there was obviously, you know, it's one thing from having one person remote versus now the entire film's gotta be remote or the entire TV show crew. That's a different game. So it did pressure us to really look more quickly at cloud and, and look at how we're gonna really leverage some of the cloud workflows for people and accelerate some of the work we're doing there. I think also markets, it's, it's okay to be able to get the editing to working, but that's not actually the hardest part. The hardest part is actually over the shoulder um, or, or how people look at, you know, when they're in edit suite, they look at a scene together and they see it in harmony in, or in unity and you can comment on it because you're all looking at the same thing. But when you're all remote, you could be looking at a piece of content three to six seconds apart from each other. Mm-hmm. How do you actually go that, that part? And you're like, no, you mean where he's in the gas station? No, no, no. after the gas station, when he like walks into the, the home, right? You, people aren't seeing the same content. So there's some things we need to solve technologically to make that experience better. I guess latency is always something that you're fighting with when you're dealing with uh, that remote aspect. Uh, you're talking about the licenses. Now, the licensing model that you were discussing, that was for existing users that had licenses, not referring to the first uh, yes. program where people are allowed to download initial yes. products. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The free, yeah, the free was full license. If you had a copy of Ultimate, you can get another copy of Ultimate, you know, or if you had 50 copies, we gave you 50 more copies. Um, that was more to help people through the just quickly, you know, getting things up and running during the pandemic. But yeah, the first program has really, that's designed for next generation creators. That's really designed for helping people try the tools out. And maybe they've edited on a different tool that's more consumerish. Now they want to try out a little more like what the pros use. That really is a program for us, uh, really is a digital marketing program product that allows people to try the tool if they like it, you know, potentially get it to the full full product. I'm always interested uh, from going forward here, when I talk to people that are working on feature films, obviously Oscar season just passed. I spoke with a lot of people working on different things. And a lot of the time they were working remotely, not just because of the pandemic, but because production is here, the editor may be in LA doing stuff. What do you think the future is? Do you think people will be working within facilities or do you think because of these solutions now, they'll be working from these remote locations? I'm always interested because here in New York, where I am, a lot of our news uh, in the past had been such and such a studio in New York has added an extra room and, you know, things of that expanded the the, uh, facility, the footprint of the facility. Do you think that's going to continue where facilities are still going to have people coming in-house to do the work? Or do you think this is going to eliminate the need for physical real estate in markets where it may be expensive and allow them to work the way it is? Or are they going to go back to what was the traditional way of working in the past? Oh, I think, I think television and film post-production is probably like almost every other industry. I think it's going to move to more of a hybrid. I don't think the pendulum is going to go one way or the other. Now it may 
push one way because of the pandemic today and it, you know, people may push the other way because they're sick of being at home. But I think it's going to be a hybrid type of environment. I think, you know, it's, it's, will people still need to come together and collaborate? Yes. In person. Will they need to be able to also sometimes sit and view something together? Yes. You know, is there reasons that people in post need to be on set sometimes? Yes. Um, but does everybody need to be in the office every day or in this or in the facility every day? No. Does everybody need to be in the suite every day? No. Does everybody need to be in the suite? No. Um, and so I think it's going to be a hybrid. I think there's going to be times when, you know, maybe when they're doing the final cut, they may all want to be in one room. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think this is going to unleash things uh, of anything. I mean, this this also changes the whole game for what's possible on set or, or near set. Um, I mean, these technologies are not just to allow people for, to not have to, you know, commute into Manhattan every night or every day to, to work on a program. But I think it gives the ability for post-production to be more flexible in where it's located or what talent you want to use. Maybe you've got a great editor, but, you know, he or she just doesn't want to leave Nova Scotia. <laughs> they want to sit there and, it, you know, it, it's, it, it gives, I think, a little more flexibility for productions to use the people they want to use, not because they're in L.A. or they're in London or wherever. Going forward, how does the technology have to improve to allow these type of remote workflows where there really is no difference between being in the studio or working from a, a location of your choice? What I, I th yeah, I think the I think the actual experience, I mean, in, in visual editing, the experience is now getting pretty close to what it is in a room you, via the cloud. It almost feels the same. I mean, and, and as the hyperscale cloud providers keep getting faster and faster, and there's more connectivity to the locations, that barrier is going to come way down. I think it really is what I said before. It's about how people are going to collaborate, how they're going to communicate, um, how they're going to, you know, have, a, have an, ex, an experiential situation that, matches what they have today when they're in the final edit and they're all looking at the same screen and hearing the same module at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. You know, having not just the delay, having the fact that latency is inconsistent. It's not symmetrical, right? Everybody who's on a, a latent connection, somebody could be nine seconds delayed, somebody could be three seconds delay. When I was noticing we did in our investor day today and people that were l logged in watching the videos playback, Literally, there were big delays between three and like 10 seconds, depending right. on what, what they were, who was connected, when they connected, you know, what CDN providers is connecting them. So I think that we have to solve those issues of how are people really going to collaborate? How are they going to um, have that experience sometimes when they want to view a piece of content together and be able to comment? I think that that whole over the shoulder, that whole being together, we need more technology solutions to make that experience better. From the editors I've spoken with in the past, one of the uh, hangups they have is that they can work from home, but they don't have the critical display that they may have in a yes. studio. And that's an expensive thing that you would have at home. But having talked to some of the workstation manufacturers, they're improving the displays on their mobile workstations and stuff too. So that could catch up at a point where, okay, maybe it's not your professional broadcast monitor that's you know thousands and thousands of dollars, but it's still very good looking display. Yeah, I think you know, and look, I think you know, final edits. I'm not sure whether when people do their final edit, will that be done in person or you know virtually? Color, I think that's going to be a little more difficult in at home because of lighting controls and, and display quality and all that. You know, doing a Dolby Atmos mix isn't going to be so easy at home. Um, 
So I think there are some things that are going to be done in facilities. But I, I, again, I go back to the it's going to be a hybrid world. Not everything has to be done in the facility or not at every phase of the production does it have to be in the facility. It's funny you mentioned the uh, Dolby Atmos. I know you guys have educational initiatives too, and you guys yep. are doing a, a partnership with Dolby to make sure people are, uh, I guess, up to speed on what it takes. Trained and, trained and certified, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, going forward, what do you see with the year ahead as far as trade shows? Obviously, NAB is later this year than it's ever been. It's going to be in October. Uh, IBC is, you know, same time frame. What do you see as far as the in-person events? Is it something Avid has on its calendar of doing, or are you still going to be doing remote type of events or a combination? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we we have to make those decisions now. We, we can't make those decisions in September or October. Yeah. Uh, we have to make them now. And we actually had to make them months, well, probably a month or two ago. Um, you look, I, I think I've said it before a little bit. We haven't been real public with this, but my view is pretty clear. I, I think it is very premature to be talking about bringing everybody back, especially bringing tens of thousands of people back to a trade show environment. I think, you know, when you obviously situations are it's like getting a lot better in New York and, and it's up here in Boston, it's, it's much better. But, you know, we're a global industry and not, it's not better everywhere. Yeah, um, I understand and, that. And that's a concern there. You go yeah, to a and trade show like an NAB and it's people from not only all over America, all over the world. All over the world are, are coming there. And so, you know, we're not anywhere near this situation getting, you know, knocked down on a global scale. I mean, look at Western Europe is still in a frightful situation. Look at the situation happening in India today. Sure. Thank, thankfully, that's starting to settle down. But, um, you know, it's we're not there yet. And so I think it's premature to be talking big trade shows. I mean, could we do a small event in LA before the year's out because maybe LA's in great shape or New York? Probably. Um, but what we're going to... saying that they need to know. You can't make those decisions in September. You can't make them not. we got to build boosts now. So, you know, I've made the decision, no, I don't think it's a good idea that we do the big, massive trade shows this year. Um, obviously, they're back on the table for 2022 because I think, I think the world will be in a lot better place in 22. But I think it's premature for our... And look, I, I love trade shows. I'd love to go see all my friends and colleagues and customers and members of the media. But, um, you know, I just don't think it's the right thing I think it's short-sighted for people to be jumping into this too soon. I think we need to be responsible and make sure our employees, our, our partners, and our customers are safe. And, and that's safe for everybody from all parts of the world, not just, you know, certain places. Yeah, no, that's a great and, overview. Uh, yeah, and the ROI, look, and, the, and look, at, at, and, and from a maybe just a basic business standpoint, the ROIs are not going to be great this year because, you know, even if they if the shows do and continue to go on, there's not going to be anywhere near the attendance for even the re forget people's comfort. Just the fact that some regions of the world will not be, you know, back to a, a good place by September. Mm -hmm. And finally, I'll just say two major international trade shows one month apart from each other. Not a great idea. Right. And then in October, NAB followed by an April NAB the next year, only a couple of months away from that too. So uh, interesting, yeah. but I appreciate your commentary on it and your insight on what you guys have going on there. It's good yeah. to see that you're uh, coming out of 2020 with success. Like I said, the Oscar wins for, uh, uh, you know, the uh, sound of metal and uh, yeah, sound side on the editing side. Yeah, no, it was a great, we we're proud of our customers and some great content was and creative people were rewarded. So, which is great to see for yeah, sure. Well. Well, hopefully we'll get to see you at some point later on this year, if not in person, maybe we can catch up again. 
Great. I'd love to. Hopefully, I'll, you know, I'm sure I'm sure New York and L.A. are both in my gun sites this year as things start to loosen up. 